0: just express ourselves to you and also just hear from you. So God, we pray that as we look into your word, this living and active word, God, that you would teach us, admonish us, um, that you would do your work in us that only you can do, God. So we give this time to you, Spirit, lead and teach in your name, Jesus' name, amen. All right, one thing my wife and I really like to do when we go uh, to the movies, actually this is more me than her, I really like to get there to make sure I'm in time for the previews. I love, I don't know anybody else that way, I love, I love to watch the previews, and we're pretty kind of those annoying people, though, in the theater, that we comment on the previews as they're going, yeah, we're not going to that, oh, that's terrible, oh, how could they show that during this, this is a rated PG movie they're showing, you know, we'll just go off and stuff like that, we like to, we like to do that, I love the previews, um, and we talk about what we're going to see and what we're not going to see, and really, that's the purpose. For previews, that's what they're there for. They're meant to spark our interest in order to get us to uh, keep coming back to the movies. Okay, I want to do that one. Okay, I want to. I didn't think I'd, I didn't know that one was out. I saw there uh, Christopher Robin. Think about Winnie the Pooh is coming out. I just saw that yesterday. That's what the previews do there's something that help us to focus on that will remind us of how much we love going to the movies. We see these things and go, yes, I want to keep coming. I want to keep coming back. Now, if you remember last week, uh, Jesus had begun this process. We talked about last week's passage was really kind of this turning point in the gospel where Jesus is really trying to um, help begin broadening the, his disciples' understanding of who he is and why he came. Remember he tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem. This is the first time they hear that. He's going to go to Jerusalem and that he is going to suffer and he's going to be murdered and that he's going to finally rise again. And uh, we saw that the the disciples were shocked at this. This is not what they had learned. This is not that they had been brought up and taught that the Messiah was going to be uh, murdered and suffer. Remember, we talked about how they expected he was going to be this king. He was going to be this conquering, victorious king, not a suffering servant. And we even saw that Peter, remember, he even takes Jesus aside and rebukes him and say, no way. It's not going to happen that way. (laughs) Can you imagine he just said, that's not going to happen that way. And we saw that Jesus gives Peter a much uh, deserved, really a stern rebuke in telling him, this, this has got to happen this way. And then he, what he does, Jesus does, is he proceeds to go then and explain to his disciples the implication of what it truly means to be identified with him. Okay, you want to follow me? You want to know what it's like? This is what it's like. And remember, he told them that to find your true self You got to be willing to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow him. It's tough stuff, tough stuff. He said that you need to be willing to sacrifice or die to your desires, to your dreams, to your goals and ambitions in order to put Jesus first. Now, this is tough. I mean, that's a tough word. That's a tough, that's a tall order to be given, especially when you're, we're familiar with it. But they weren't to hear that, and it's it's really especially tough because um, throughout the with the struggles that we go through in this life, living in this fallen and this and this broken world with our sin nature, it takes a toll on us. It takes a toll on us, and the truth is, often I don't know about you, but I grow weary sometimes in denying myself and taking up my cross and following Jesus. It's hard. It goes against our very human nature. So Jesus, He knows all this. He knows this about us. So Jesus decides, in the passage we're going to look at today, Jesus decides to give a couple of His disciples uh, a glimpse, or should we say a preview, okay? Give them a preview of His true identity, something that would keep them coming back to Him, something that they could focus on, that would not only remind them of how much he loves them and of his great love, but something that would actually, believe it or not, provide strength in order to follow him, especially when their strength is lacking, like ours often does. So Jesus gives us little preview. Okay, a great little preview, and we're going to look at that this morning. Okay, it's a powerful image. It was for them, and it really is to be for us today as well. So take your Bibles if you have them. If not, we'll have the, on, this, on our makeshift screen here this morning. Look at chapter 17 of Matthew, and we're going to start by reading just the first three verses. It says this, And after six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother, And led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Okay, so after a week of all we just talked about, a week goes by. And Jesus invites three of his disciples to get alone with him. Now, um, there's many theories of why he picked these three guys. You can go study that on your own. But uh, needless to say, he takes these three guys up high on a hill, and Jesus is transfigured. Or what happens is he, he makes this complete change in his appearance and his form, okay? Right before their eyes, he, 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 he looks like a man still, but there's this change that happens to him literally what's happening is they're given a glimpse or a preview of his glory okay they're be, they're given this little preview of what his glory and his splendor actually looks like just a taste okay And this is this, they actually get this foretaste of really what Jesus talked about back when we looked in uh, chapter 16. He talked about in verse 27, when he comes back again with his angels in the glory of his father. So they were getting this picture of what Jesus, little bit of what Jesus is going to be like when he comes back down, raining and coming to take us back. They get this little picture. Could you imagine? What that must have been like for them? I mean, it must have been mind-boggling for these three guys. We, think, we look at this and we think, oh, they saw, they, they saw shiny Jesus. They saw more than shiny Jesus. And this was his glory, his majesty. It was bright and it was shining like the sun, but it was, wasn't just shininess. It wasn't just like, oh, can you tone it down a little bit? We'll get my Ray-Bans. No, it was literally his glory that was, that was being shown to them. Okay, and they, so they actually got this small taste of it. Now, here's the significance of Moses and Elijah. The significance here is that Moses and Elijah, they really, they symbolize all the teachings of the law and of the prophets. Okay, they're kind of like, they kind of represent the law and all the things that the prophets said back in, in the Old Testament. Remember, uh, earlier Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but what? To fulfill the the law, and the message of the prophets. So that's what these guys are. So here's what's kind of happening. It's like the, it's like the representatives of all the teachings of the Old Testament are, these two guys are meeting you up with the person who actually fulfills all those. Okay? They're actually coming along. It's like these two groups of people. They, they taught it. They represent it. And then Jesus is over here. The guy totally fulfills it. It's like, hi, how you doing? Good to finally meet you. You know, they're coming together. In this, glorious, in this glorious meeting here, it's really, what you're, we're seeing here is a picture that's worth a thousand words, okay? Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that these guys represent. Everything that was ever written. So they're coming together. It's this cool little picture of this amazingness of the history of all that God has done. It's just this amazing, it's this amazing meetup, if you want to call it that, okay? So next, right away, we're going to see Peter's reaction. Good old Pete. We're going to see how he reacts to all this. Look at the next verse. Look at verse 4. Look what he says. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. So here we got Peter seeing this amazing scene unfold before him, and he just has to say something, right? There's no way he's going to let this go without saying something. Actually, in both Mark and Luke's gospel, they mention that Peter, that he says what he says because he was so scared and he didn't know what to say. You ever had that happen before? You ever had that where you hear something or you, you see something and you've... I, I, I got to say something and you feel like you need to say something but because you really don't know what to say you just kind of say something inconsequential you just kind of say something just kind of just for those of us that talk a lot that's our big problem that's one of my big problems you now I, I got to say something so before thinking I just this is best peter It's exactly what peter does right here okay so now peter his intentions were good though We got to you got to know that his intentions were good the problem with peter Was that he didn't understand the situation. He didn't understand what was going on. First, what's happening is he misinterprets the temporary nature of what's going on. He's thinking, oh, it's happening, it's happening, it's going down. Because what what likely was they say what most likely was happening during this time is the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles was occurring in Jerusalem at this time. It's this it's what it was is a celebration that lasted about seven days, in which the Jewish people they would live in these booths or these tents. And this time it represented their wandering in the desert as they were journeying, journeying towards the promised land. So this is what was going on. So this is probably in his mind. But also being a guy, being a good Jew who learned all this stuff in, 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 uh, in school and what do you call Jewish school? Jewish school. Okay. He learned all this stuff. Back also, there was this thing where Zechariah the prophet had written saying that the Messiah, when the Messiah reigns on earth, he will require all nations to come and celebrate this feast of booths. So what's probably happening here is Peter's merging these two things together. He's going, "Ooh, it's happening. It is happening. And he's hoping for this, it's all going to start. So of course he could think of nothing better than to celebrate the Feast of Booths with these three guys. Let's get it on. Let's do it. We're ready to go. Let's get going here. So he thinks it's, it's about to happen. Let's just chill out on this mountain, and let's just bask in the glory of Jesus. That's what Peter's wanting. He's totally missing what's going on here. Obviously, because we saw last chapter, he had, he had forgotten what Jesus has said about him needing to go to Jerusalem and be tortured and be murdered. That still, that still had to happen. He still does not understand that for Jesus, glory comes through the cross. That's where the glory comes. It would also seem like Peter, in some ways, is putting the, uh, Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. You know, let's just get three tents built for these three prophets. So he's really missing the point of what is going on here. Now, before it's, it kind of seems like before Peter even finishes, he's talking. He's like, I, can I be, be, be? before he even gets it out, an amazing response comes from someone. Okay, look at verse 5. And he was still speaking, I bet that happened a lot, he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Okay so this bright cloud appears and this and from this cloud this heavenly voice interrupts Peter's requests and what is basically he's saying trying to he's bringing the focus back to Jesus. I mean how's that how's that for an endorsement of who you are? You're trying to convince people wait this is who I am and this bright this cloud comes and no this is my this is who he is. That's an incredible endorsement from God. He said, What God is saying here, not Moses, not Elijah, but my beloved son. Listen to him. There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of people telling you things. My son, listen to him. And this really fits well with really this whole context of Jesus broadening the disciples' understanding of who he is and why he came and what it means to be identified as his follower. Listen carefully to him, is what he's saying. If he says go, he's going to go to Jerusalem, if he's saying that he's going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die and rise again, then that is what's going to happen. Don't question it. If he says deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him, then that is what you should do. That's what he's saying here. See, now, I'm going to get a little geeky on you here. This Greek word for listen is akouo, okay? Akouo, which means to pay attention or to understand or obey. It can mean all that realm of things, okay? It's much more than just listening with our ears. It's much more than just the physiological listening of, thing of just listening with our ears here. He's saying there's more to it. Seven times in the Gospels, Jesus says, whoever has ears to akuo, hear. Whoever has ears, let him akuo. Let him hear. Let him pay attention. Let him understand. Let him obey. See, it's more than just listening to what he's saying. You know, with our kids we say, are you listening to me? What we're not saying is, are you perceiving the noise that's coming out of my mouth and hearing it in your ears? We're not, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that and then a whole lot more. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you perceiving what I'm saying? Are you going to obey now what I've told you? That's what Jesus is saying. That's what God is saying here. To truly be a follower of Jesus means to allow the truth of God's word, no matter how difficult it is to hear, to impact and then transform everything about us, Okay, to transform our thoughts and our actions, all of that. That's what the word of God is meant for, not just something we listen to or just something we casually read. It's not meant for that. Remember in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, says this, for the word of God... It's alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You guys, there's, it's impossible to overemphasize the importance of listening to God's word. We just can't overemphasize that. It's impossible. I want to encourage you with something here at this point. I want to encourage you that whenever you come to God's word, whether it's in your quiet time, whether it's here, whether however you do it, or you're listening to it, I want to encourage you to do something. Encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, we talked about this is his job to help you to truly listen. When you open up your Bible or your app or whatever it is, ask the Holy Spirit of God, help me to listen Not just read it, help me to listen, help me to be able to pay attention, help me to do what it's saying to do, help me to understand how I might put this into practice in in my life. Do you see how much more practical Bible reading becomes when we approach it that way? If it's just like, you know what, I'm supposed to read my Bible all the time, that's what I was told. Oh, when we really approach it, when we're asking God to use it to do something in our lives, to transform our lives. And chances are, here's the, here's the thing that no one ever told you probably, is that most of the time, God is going to answer that question, and you're going to never, never even know how he did it. He just used his word and the truth of his word, and you're listening to it, not just physiologically, but letting it impact you. That's how God works. Luke's t- Luke, Luke 11, 28 says, But even more blessed are those who, guess what word? Akuo. Hear the word of God and put it into practice. Blessed, happy, those who are happy because they know that they God's, have God's favor. That's what this word means. They have God's favor. I know that I'm not just, blah, 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 you know, Charlie Brown's uh, teacher. I'm really listening and asking God to do something with his word in my life. All right, now we see in verses 6 through 8 the response now to God's message. Look what he says in verses 6 through 8. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So, the disciples, like probably like all of us would do, they hear this voice of God. They see this cloud. They hear the voice of God, and it strikes terror in them, and they just hit the ground. Okay? Face down, they could you just, I couldn't even imagine what this scene would be like. Not only are they seeing the glory, a little, getting a little peek of Jesus' glory, now all of a sudden, the God of the universe speaks out of a cloud. They're just like, I'm done. They're just there. They have hit the ground. But look what's so cool what happens next. Jesus, he comforts them. Can you just picture it? Can you just picture maybe they're over here and Jesus just walks over, puts his hands on their backs, and he just comforts them gently, lovingly, reassuring them it's okay. Everything is going to be okay. There is no need to be afraid. Because not only did God speak to them out of a cloud, now God is comforting them. I mean, that just was like whew. I mean, these guys talk about have you ever been through the emotional roller coaster? This is an emotional hurricane that these guys have gone through here. So it's crazy. And the Apostle John tells us in First John that the perfect love that God has for us drives out or casts out fear. Another great truth here that I really believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to listen to this. We need to grasp onto this and fully grasp it more that because that we are so deeply loved by God. Now, some of you need to hear this because you've even told me this is a struggle of yours. Because you are so deeply loved by God, you do not need to fear anything any judgment from him whatsoever, none. Isn't that reassuring? You know your faults. You know the things. I know mine. I know my glaring duck. But I can know that the love that God has for me, there's no judgment from my heavenly father. How nice is that? But Rob, you don't know what I've done. I don't need to know what you've done. Don't don't ever assume that you're so bad that God's love can't love cover that over. That's just that's just absurd. Absolutely absurd. His love is so huge; he'll never judge us as his children. That's just amazing. Amazing, amazing truth because of what Jesus did for us. You see, the truth is the more, the truth is what we're seeing here is the more that we keep our focus on Jesus and that we truly listen, the more that we will inevitably find the strength to follow him, to follow him like we're called to do, to follow him like we want to do, okay? And this listening is not just like we said with our ears, but with our inner being, Okay, we're listening to what he has to say about who he is and the implications of what it means to be identified as his followers. This kind of listening, this is this what brings strength to us. When we listen like that, when we say, "God, I want to know what it means to be a follower of yours." I want to truly listen. Like when God said, "Listen to what my son has to say." Not measure up to something, but just listen to what Jesus says. Receive his grace, receive his goodness, receive his forgiveness. When we do that, that gives us strength and a desire and a passion to pursue Jesus even more. See how this transfiguration is playing out so far? <laughs> so far, it's working pretty good. So far, there's some really, really good stuff that we're seeing through his transformation. So for a brief moment, these three disciples, they're given this as glimpse or a preview of Jesus' glory, his true identity, okay? And it's meant to help them to better understand who he is and what's about to happen to him, okay? Because they think they know. Now, this is not an event the disciples are going to soon forget. And now Jesus is going to take it even further, though. Okay? He's going to go further. His intention, now what he's going to do is he's going kind to of, kind, of, kind of unpack somewhat of the meaning of what they've just witnessed, what they've just seen. He's going to help them see it even more. And so these are some pretty confusing passages coming up. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, muddle through them a bit and get the truth out of them. Okay, next verse, what he says in, um, in, verse, in verse 9, he says, and as they were coming down the mountain Jesus commanded them tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. Oh lord, really? We got, we got to keep that. We got to keep that one in. Uh, how, how hard would that be? Don't even it's basically saying don't even tell the other disciples what you've seen until after I've risen from the dead. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus allow them to see this? It seems cruel almost. Well, Remember, Jesus is broadening their understanding of who he is and why he came. What he's helping them see is there's more to this story. There's more to come. There's more than the incredible healings that you have seen. There's more than the incredible feeding of the thousands of people with just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread. There's so much more to come. There's suffering, there's death, but there's also a resurrection. There's so much more you need to understand. Remember, they're expecting this political deliverer, okay? Someone who will deliver them from the tyranny of the Roman rule, yet there's this different plan. Remember what you just said? For Jesus, there is no glory. For Jesus, there is no crown without the cross. So he's trying to help them to see. There's more than what you think here. Now, as you can imagine, the, the disciples' heads are probably spinning. They're probably walking down from this mountain going, oh my gosh, this this is this is crazy. Okay as they make their way down this mountain I mean they believe that Jesus is the Messiah I'm sure they do they believe that he is they just seen him in his glorified state but I'm sure they're struggling with okay we just saw you in your glorified state now you're supposed to suffer and die so they're really having trouble with they're really having trouble with this and I'm sure Moses and Elijah seeing them also kind of brought up some stuff about what they know about some of the Old Testament prophecy that Elijah would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. So they're really confused, so they just ask. Okay? Just ask. Doesn't seem like it's just Peter this time, but they ask. It so, says verse 10, and the disciples asked him, "Then why do the scribes say that the first that first Elijah must come?" Okay, what the disciples are referring to is a prophecy by the prophet Malachi some 400 years prior. Actually, these are very, you can look it up right now. These are the very last words of the Old Testament. These are the last two verses of the Old Testament that they are referring to here. I'll even read it. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay? That's, how, that's the last word they got from God for another 400 years. It's this prophecy. This, and this prophecy, the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders they were teaching this. Okay, listen, before the Messiah comes, just so you know, Elijah's gonna come back. Okay, because that's what it says in Malachi. Last words we got. That that is what's going to happen. Before the day of the Lord, referring to the return of Christ, Elijah's going to come. He's going to be preaching restoration and bringing the message of repentance and prepare people's hearts for the day of the Lord, okay? That is what is going to happen. So we got a problem here. So if Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah, how could Jesus be the Messiah? They're totally confused. Where is Elijah? I mean, he just left. He came and he's gone. Where is he? He hasn't done, he's done anything. We believe, Jesus, that you're the Messiah. We saw your glory. That sealed it for us. So shouldn't Elijah be here? Shouldn't Elijah be doing something? Where is he? Where is this message of restoration? Where is the revival? <laughs> Nothing's changed. What is going on? And he answers them in verse 11. He starts by answering in verse 11. He says, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. Now, this is pretty highly debated. Again, another verses that are highly debated about what this means. Really, there's two possible interpretations. The first is that that Elijah actually will come. Before Christ comes again, the second time, when he comes again, during the, from the rapture and all that stuff, Elijah is actually going to come first and preaching this, and this message of restoration and reconciliation. That's why you leave a seat empty at a Seder. Believing that Elijah will come back. The Jewish people believe that Elijah will come back. That is definitely one interpretation of this this, uh, thing. But also, another interpretation is that the role of Elijah is now being taken up by Jesus and uh, inevitably by us, ultimately by us as his followers, as we share the message of the gospel. And we bring this message that brings restoration and reconciliation. So it could be either one, but that's not the point of all this. Look what Jesus says in the next two verses. He says, he has come. Okay. He does come and he will restore, however that looks. But there's more. Look at 12 and 13. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the son of man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So what Jesus is saying here is Elijah has already, he has actually come back in the form and in the person and in the preaching of John the Baptist. He wasn't supposed to come back. He's not coming back physically right now. John the Baptist is the guy. He is the form of, of who he is. He's, he preached the message of restoration and reconciliation and the covenant of judgment. If you look at the message of Elijah and the message of John the Baptist, they're the same. They're the same message, okay? So that's, that's what he's talking about here. And the people, but he says the people didn't recognize this Elijah-type figure. They didn't recognize John at all. They, did, they, they treated him, he says here, however they wanted to. They abused him. They had treated him terribly. They thought he was wacko. They thought he was crazy. And eventually, he was killed for his message, remember? He was killed for that. And Jesus saying, you know what? I am going to go through exactly what he went through. What he went through, I will go through. If you remember, Jesus has already said who John is. Back in chapter 11, we looked at this when he was trying to explain to the crowd, they were like, who is this guy, John the Baptist? Look at verses 13 and 15 back in 11 says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come <laughs> Here's that verse there's that he who has ears to hear, let him hear once again, what Jesus is doing is he's helping his disciples to understand that he is the Messiah, the one that's prophesied about in scriptures and that he came not to free from Roman rule that's not why he came from the bond to get you out of the bondage of Roman rule, but from something So much bigger. Something so much bigger. He came to get you out of the bondage of sin. That is why he came. And he would have to suffer and die in order to make it happen. You see, the glory of Jesus is found in the cross. And all these messages point to that. All the different... Oh, no. The castle's being ransacked already. (laughs) What we see here, though, is we also see that this reinforces what Jesus said in previous chapters of what it really means to be identified as his followers. We need to be willing. If we're going to follow in his footsteps, he followed in John's footsteps. We're going to follow in his. We need to be willing to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to sacrifice and die to our dreams and our desires, our goals and ambitions in order to make sure that Jesus is put first In our lives. You see how this is working here? I know it seems complicated, and this is the stuff that we scan over, but Jesus is opening their eyes, and he's trying to open our eyes to see that Jesus is so much more, like like Jonathan said, so much more than we ever imagined him to be. We make him so small. We say, Yes, he's my savior. We sing the songs to him. We get excited about Jesus, but we still a lot of oftentimes have him in a little box. And we don't realize how amazing he is, his glory and his splendor, what that is like, and not. And we don't realize what having that view of him does to us, and how it encourages us. That we've seen that we can go boldly because he tells us to come before him boldly. We can do. We can come to Christ. We can. We can. Um, we can let go of our dreams. We can die to ourselves, and we can do it without any hesitation, knowing that when we truly listen. And obey God's word, we can be assured of the strength to follow him. So, what's the message here? What's the message of the transfiguration of Jesus? Well, simply, the transfiguration of Jesus is meant to create a greater longing in us to know Jesus in all his glory. That is what it is meant to do, make us to go, I want to know that Jesus. I want to know him in that way. And, and, and it's also to, medic, to help us to akuo, or to listen. When he says, this is my son, listen to him, pay attention, understand, obey. Don't just walk through this Christian life like, yeah, I go to church, I do stuff. It's, it's part of kind of part of who I do. No, listen. He's saying, listen, not because I want to throw rules at you, because I want you to have the most incredible life. Life to the fullest is what he's saying. You see, as I've mentioned in the past, we've seen, you know, we've lived in this, we talked about this before, that we live kind of in this already and not yet time when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, okay? We're experiencing Jesus now. Those of us that are followers of Jesus are experiencing. We're in, that's a, and it's awesome, and it's powerful, and it's wonderful. But as wonderful as it might be, what the Bible says, it's muted, okay? It's shadowed to what we will someday know him truly like. And the transfiguration is to give us a glimpse of that. 1 Corinthians, you know this verse, 1 Corinthians 13:12 says now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. That's how we kind of see this glory of Jesus. We we have him but we don't get it all. But when we will see but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know Right now is partial and incomplete. But then, one day, I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Can you imagine knowing God's glory as much as God knows you? That's insane. That's crazy. But that's what knowing God's glory is going to to be like. As followers of Jesus, as we long for a fuller picture of Jesus in all his glory, to see him how he truly is, even while we're kind of in this in-between time, the result of that, the result of wanting to see Christ in his glory, will be a strengthening of our faith. And it'll draw us into a deeper loyalty of Jesus. See how that works? As I see how amazing and glorious he is, I want to be more with him. I want to follow him more. I want to know him more. I want a piece of this. That preview wasn't enough. Like at the movies, remember, you get that preview, and you go, oh, I wish they'd show more. Unfortunately, oftentimes, the preview is the best part of the movie. But um, in our case, that's not, that's not going to be the case at all. And really, here's the, here's the crux of this whole thing, guys. The best way to do this, the best way to keep God's glory in our, Jesus, the glory of Jesus in, in, our, in our heads, in our mind, is to look to something that we're already familiar with, something that the whole world is already familiar with, and that's the cross. We remember the cross, we look to the cross. So we have, but we have a, that's why we have a cross in the front of our church. If you wear a cross, hopefully that's why we wear the cross, is because you know what? I wanna display God's glory. Because this is where it came from. This is how it came about. The glory of Jesus and the cross go together. Phenomenal theologian N.T. Wright puts this, writes this. It's up on, it should be up on the screen. Learn to see the glory in the cross. Learn to see the cross in the glory. And you will have begun to bring together the laughter and the tears of the God who hides in the cloud. The God who is to be known in the strange person of Jesus Himself. This story, of course, about being surprised by the power, love, and beauty of God. But the but the point of it is that we should learn to recognize that same power, love, and beauty, and Jesus in Jesus, and to listen for it in His voice. Not least when He calls us to take up our cross. And follow him. At the end of World War II, uh, a man named Murdo MacDonald spoke to his American colleagues through the fence of a German concentration camp where they were prisoners. He had to speak, they said he had to speak Gaelic since English was forbidden. So he told his fellow officers and soldiers of the news that he found out that the war was over that Germany had been defeated, the allies were uh, victorious, they had won. It will, but the, here's the thing, though. It'll still be three days before the Germans will actually even learn of this. They know, but the Germans don't know. During those days, the Americans were still prisoners. They still suffered from poor food. They were mistreated, and they were in confinement. And all the other hardships that come along with being in a prisoner of war camp, nothing had changed changed for them except the news that the war was over. But the news spread throughout the the camp and it transformed the response of the prisoners to their situation. Suddenly there was hope. They were in prison, in a prison camp, but suddenly there was hope. Germany had been defeated. Victory was assured. They could endure their trials. They could endure, endure the hardship of this prison camp because the truth that they was, were on the winning side was in their mind. They know we win. We can do this for three more days. We win. You see, the transfiguration of Jesus gives us a glimpse or a preview of our victorious Lord who we know is coming in great power and great glory. Jesus will reign and his truth will triumph over all. And as we strive to keep our focus on the glory of Christ, that is the thing that will give us the strength that we need to follow him in the way of the cross. Let's pray. Father God, your word is wonderful. We thank you for how it teaches us and leads us and how it guides us. And Father God, I just pray that as we we attempt as followers of of yours to, to follow you in a way that we know we want to and that you want us to, yet we still struggle. I pray, God, in the midst of those struggles, that, God, that we will be reminded of the glory of Christ, that we'll be reminded of the cross. We will look to the cross for our strength to know that we win. We win because of Jesus, God. Help us as we see even your glory in just the things around us, that we were reminded of that victory in Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.